everybody. Welcome into the Great Scott Show on a Tuesday. How's everybody feeling? NBA Finals last night. Andrew Wiggins had a moment. The Celtics, for the first time this postseason, lost consecutive games. And while the final was still a double-digit final, the Warriors did win by 10. Eh, no iconic moments, nothing nothing stood out in last night's game that you'll remember, say, six months from now, other than maybe Steph Curry snapping a crazy streak that he had, a record that came to an end. But probably won't remember exactly when or how or whatever, just that it happened at some point in the series. Having said all of that, it was a good game. It was a good game. And Golden State has to be feeling great. Because not only are they a win away from another NBA championship, although I wouldn't bet against Boston in Boston game six, they won by 10 points last night when Steph Curry, the best player in the series, was totally off. Totally off. It was one of his worst performances in any finals game he's ever played in. So you have an opening. Can the Celtics capitalize? Jason Tatum. First team all NBA standout. 27 points. His best game of the series. I go into last night's game beforehand, and I tell you, hey, when all is done, Steph Curry's going to have his worst game of the series. Jason Tatum's going to have his best game of the series. Do with that information what you will. You probably would have gone and put in a lot of money on the Celtics, not just the money. Well, yeah, Celtics money line. They were three-and-a-half-point dog. Instead, Golden State wins by 10. A reminder that in the NBA Finals, And oftentimes in any championship, role players determine who wins and who loses. Occasionally you have another worldly performance from a superstar that just is, it cannot be stopped and there's nothing you can do about it. But a lot of the time, now that's not to say a lot of the time a superstar is going to be bad. And and certainly Steph Curry wasn't bad last night, but by his standards, it 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 was not up to par. But what did the Warriors get? They got Andrew Wiggins having his best game of the series. They got Andrew Wiggins on a night where Curry was, you know, 7 of 22 and couldn't hit a three-pointer. 0 of 9. God, that's got to hurt for Boston to still lose by 10. How much shot creation does Golden State have off the dribble? Not as much as you would think for a team in the NBA Finals. A lot of their offense is predicated on ball movement, getting open shots, catch and shoot. Curry might put the ball on the floor here and there. I'm not trying to suggest he never does. He might do a little step back, then back in, and a teardrop. And he. My point is, Golden State doesn't have a ton of players on the team that create off the dribble consistently and successfully. 
Wiggins last night was attacking the paint. 26 points, no turnovers, 13 rebounds. Considering he's been playing a lot of defense this postseason, to have an offensive stamp on a performance was a big moment for a guy that, you know, had no business being a starter in the All-Star game, but has been a key cog in Golden State getting back to the NBA Finals for the sixth time in eight years and being on the brink of winning another championship. Considering where this guy has been the last eight years, I remember coming out, Andrew Wiggins, kid out of Canada, going to be the number one overall pick. He's going to be a bona fide superstar. Everyone's going to be talking about him. Well, that really didn't happen. At least when everyone was talking about him, it was... I mean, he's okay. Wait, Minnesota paid him what? Huh? Last night was the biggest moment of his career on the biggest stage. It was a career-defining moment because he was the, the heaviest hand in the game last night. Drafted number one overall nearly eight years ago in June of 2014. By the Cavs. And you're thinking, yeah, Cavs won the lotto. That's where he's going. But LeBron James then wrote his piece. Going to return home and hang out with the guys. Going back to Cleveland. His second stint in Cleveland. And when he got there, he said, I I just didn't rebuild. David Griffin, you better go get me some stars now. And then Wiggins was traded a few months later. When has the number one overall pick been traded right after they were drafted? Well, it's happened a number of times, but when have they been traded two months after they were drafted, two months into the offseason? He goes to Minnesota, Kevin Love goes to Cleveland, and now Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and LeBron James have this era of basketball in Cleveland. They get to the finals four straight times. They win one. Everybody remembers Golden State blew a 3-1 lead. Wiggins didn't, I mean, honestly, he didn't come close to living up to the hype of, it's one thing to be the number one overall pick of me, Anthony Bennett. It's like, well, you know, it's a, I mean, Bennett was a huge bust. Sorry, it's true. But there wasn't the hype around Bennett. He, he was drafted number one overall in a year where everyone's like, who should you take number one overall? Because this is a weak draft. So he gets big money from Minnesota, but never helped them reach another level. Never really helped them break through a ceiling. Then Minnesota traded him in 2020 to the Warriors for D'Angelo Russell, who the Wolves went really hard at in free agency, who Golden State, per Zach Lowe, wasn't even all that interested in, at least not enough to give him big money, but knew, hey, this is how we can add big salary that we can eventually trade off so that we can keep a, we can acquire a core piece at some point to help us remain in the title hunt. And it worked. Because Minnesota always wanted D'Angelo Russell. 
the T-Wolves also had to throw in Jonathan Kaminga, first-round pick. And so now Wiggins has his career-defining moment for the Warriors in the NBA Finals. 26 points, 13 boards, and now the Warriors are up three games to two. And when you look at Wiggins and the journey he has taken in his career, you know, role players have big moments in finals games. And you remember them. But they're usually role players. They're not guys that were formerly number one overall picks, traded multiple times, finally an all-star this year, but still looked at as overrated, not living up to the hype. Just unique. Last night at times, he looked like the guy that many thought he would be in 2014. Doesn't mean it's going to continue. Doesn't mean it's going to stay. But very promising for Golden State, who is now a win away from another title. Their fourth and eighth years, if they can do it. Boston, on the other hand, has several days to go over everything they did wrong. Number one on that list, turnovers. They had 18 of them. Talking about Jason Tatum finally scored a bunch of points, but he was minus 13 in the 44 minutes he played. Golden State doesn't turn it over. Excuse me, if Boston doesn't turn it over a bunch, they'll win game six on their home floor. We haven't had a game seven since 2016. Last time we had a game seven, and that was when the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead to the Cleveland Cavaliers who brought the Cavs their only championship. Plenty of stories coming out of last night's game. Still not an iconic moment in this series. Still not the, oh my God, where were you win? You still haven't had one of those games where all right, we're under 30 seconds. It's a one-possession game. We don't know who's going to win this. You haven't had that. This finals needs that. As rare and as interesting as Andrew Wiggins' story has been, all the reasons I just pointed out, that's not enough to bring in a casual fan that's like, I gotta wait. I can't go to sleep. I got to stay and see the end of this. Maybe casual fans. I would, I would like to think even casual fans are watching the finals, but hey, this is 2022. There are a lot of options out there. Still waiting for that moment. And for Boston now, backs up against the wall. You could tell yourself, well... We hadn't lost two in a row yet. Well, we stole home court in game one. Now, just get it to a game seven. Get it to a game seven. Anything's possible. And how about the finals dragging this thing out? Taking that extra day between travel, which they didn't used to do in recent years. They started that just a couple years ago. Now you have game six on Thursday, and if they... If they get to a Game 7, Game 7 on Sunday. See, last year the season was pushed back. It was only 72 games. And the Bucks and the Suns started playing the finals. like They were playing like right now. The fact that this year when the schedule is supposed to be back on track, back in its old way, that the season could go all the way till June 19th. 
dragging that thing out, man. Which they love, because then that bleeds directly into the draft, and then that bleeds directly into free agency. You know, the NFL gets a whole lot of credit for the layout of their schedule. How they keep fans interested with only having, you know, one day of the week where a bunch of teams play, and a couple other games where, you know, days, Monday night, Thursday night, but you know what I mean. It's like you have the name, the amount of games you have in the other sports. But during the season, man, they can. It, it's easy to get more coverage. But when they get to the offseason, the buildup to the draft, the combine, the OTAs, the mandatory mini camps, which for the Saints, that one starts today. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? Because there were a lot of players missing from OTAs. Is anyone going to miss today? What to look for as Saints begin mandatory minicamp? We will get into that when we come back. But coming up later, we're going to talk College World Series. Auburn punched their ticket last night. I thought they would lose a close one-run game to Oregon State. I was wrong. They won a close one-run game to Oregon State. Figured Stanford would beat UConn. They did. So Stanford and Auburn punch their tickets to Omaha. Half of the field is out of the SEC West. We'll talk plenty of College World Series with Jay Walker, who will be in in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll also have Terrible Tune Tuesday. Looking forward to that. But up next, the top questions facing the Saints today as they gather for mandatory minicamp. We'll get into it. Plus, opening up phone lines at 337-269-1077 when we come back. This is the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Don't go anywhere. The biggest names in sports are talking to you every day on the Rich Eisen Show with me, Rich Eisen. I know! Every weekday from noon to 3, right here on ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Into the Great Scott Show, 21 after the hour on a Tuesday morning. Phone lines are open if anyone wants to jump in. 337-269-1077. Talk to NBA Finals Segment 1. If you want to hit on that, we'll talk some College World Series next hour. The Field of Eight is officially set. Games will begin this weekend. For the next three days, the New Orleans Saints will have their mandatory minicamp. And there are a number of things 
to keep an eye on. One, we already know Michael Thomas is likely not going to be on the field. Uh, he's doubtful. Coach Dennis Allen said as much. Um, now, he didn't grant anyone an excused absence. He says, look, there's some players that are still rehabbing injuries, so you might not see him on the field. But he ex- he still expects everyone to be there. Uh, and the fact that Thomas was at voluntary stuff, you know, he'll probably be there. I, my point is, I really don't think Michael Thomas is any kind of story right now. Now, as you get to training camp and everything like that, absolutely. You want to see how that foot is healed, how that ankle is healed, how he is doing, how he is running. You add a healthy Michael Thomas to the offense, it's the single biggest move of the entire offseason for the Saints. But here, here is here's here is one thing that you do have to pay attention to, and that is the attendance. The attendance. Deontay Hardy, formerly known as Deontay Harris, was absent. From the voluntary OTAs, Demario Davis, absent. They're looking for contract extensions, new contracts, raises, right? There were a dozen players who were not there. Now, I just named two former first-team AP All-Pros. But who is going to sit out of this one? Will they have full attendance or will they have a few players that are like, no, I'm I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Will Lutz, by the way, should be there. Announced yesterday he is finally fully healthy. Talk about adding a missing piece back to the team that wasn't there last year. 100%. But the other things, aside from the obvious, okay, who's not there? Did they have perfect attendance? Did everyone show up? The other things to keep an eye on. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore and Chris Alave. It's one thing for Alave to face off against Delonte Taylor in OTAs. Now facing an all-pro, because Alave is, as, as Jameis Winston described him, as smooth as the other side of the pillow. He's got this incredible smoothness about him. He's got this 4-3 speed. He's really, really good, very impressed. He seems like he's ahead of the game. Well, come on. Give me a break. It's OTAs. He's going up against other rookies. And maybe, you know, I guess, you know, Paulson Debo is there as well. But you really want to measure where you're at? Go up against Lattimore. You know, you think of a guy like a Marcus Davenport who is now in the last year of his deal heading into this season and how he performs this season will not just dictate his future with the Saints or lack thereof, but his next contract and whether or not he's going to get a big one. He's a first-round pick. Saints moved up to get him 14th overall. He got good money. But the big money payday for most NFL players is that second contract. And when he was a rookie, he was he was green, he was raw, and not like Alave. Alave isn't, you know, super green and super raw. But he talked about having to go up against Teron Armstead and how it just it was brutal. His first mini camp and then his first training camp, and then in practice, he's like, I'm just 
Talk about a guy who, coming into the league, he was already a little green and his confidence got a little shot because he was just getting manhandled. Alave having a measuring stick in Lattimore kind of feels like Davenport going up against Armstead. Now, the difference is Alave was, is, is more pro-ready than Davenport was as a rookie. There's no doubt about that. Other things to keep an eye on. Jameis Winston, the limp. He's going to be out there. How noticeable it would be? How is he going to be moving on his feet? And how is he going to be doing throwing the short to intermediate passes to Jarvis Landry? How's he going to, how's he going to do? You got a whole lot of safeties. Oh, Malcolm Jenkins is gone. Oh, Marcus Williams is gone. Tyron Matthew, Marcus May, P.J. Williams, C.D. Deuce, who's more of a hybrid. J.T. Gray, who's an all first-team All-Pro, only one on the Saints last year that was a first-teamer. D.M.R. Davis, second-team APL Pro. J.T. Gray, now he's first-team APL Pro as a special-teamer. But point is, and I think Nick Underhill was writing about this, those spots are locked up. All the guys I mentioned, they're not, barring injury, they're, that, that's it. They're not getting cut. So who gets the last safety spot? Is it Bryce Thompson, who was with the team last year? I don't know. Not to mention Marcus May is going to be suspended early in the season for the DUI arrest. So the player who wins the job is going to have to play early in the year. Receivers, aside from just Alave, Michael Thomas won't be there. But what if Deontay Hardy holds out too? Now he's expected to be there. He skipped. He skipped OTAs, but I don't think he's going to skip this. He doesn't want to lose any money because his contract's so low as a guy that's an undrafted rookie. He's gotten some slight bonuses, but not what has not made the kind of money you would expect a first team AP All Pro to get. And he's probably not going to get any kind of raise this year. The Saints will wait until this rookie contract ends, and then they'll probably tender him a first-round tender and then sign him to a one-year deal or a multi-year deal, and that'll be that. But in the meantime, you know, let's say he comes in, he's like, yeah, I'm feeling a little gimpy. Point is, Thomas isn't there. At least he's not going to be able to be on the field. What if Hardy isn't either? Now, I mentioned Alava, he will get a ton of reps. Jarvis Lange will get a ton of reps. Traquan Smith a guy that has never reached potential that many feel he has. Maybe his ceiling just isn't as high as people think. That's kind of where I'm at with him. But Winston and Draquan last offseason had a lot of time together in the offseason. They were practicing. They were warming up. Last year, they played together one time. One time. One game. Because Draquan was hurt early in the season, and then by the time he got back, shortly thereafter, Jameis' season ended with a torn ACL. Things to keep an eye on at Saints camp. Heck, I mentioned Will Lutz. Says he's fully healthy. Last year, he entered minicamp hurt, tried to play through it, and before you knew it, he was having season-ending surgery later in the summer and missed all of last year. Saints are paying him a good bit for a kicker. But you saw what was missing last year. 
the lack of Will Lutz, how it hurt the Saints. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. You can email me, Scott, at ESPNLafayette.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at ESPN Lafayette. Email, this one comes to us from Matt. Scott, do you think Pete Carmichael will be a similar play caller to Sean Payton, or can we expect to see new wrinkles in the Saints offense this year? Um, Matt, I appreciate the email. I think Pete Carmichael, one, all he's done as a pro is coached under Sean Payton, so obviously there'll be some similarities there. Uh, but if there are changes, I don't know what it'll be as much about, oh, well, it's not Peyton, it's Carmichael, as it will be about the roster and what they have in place. I, Carmichael's interesting to me because when Sean Payton left, the scuttlebutt was that he didn't even really want to be the OC. He was content just, you know, I'll be the quarterback coach. I'll go look around. Then they looked around and they were like, nope. Pete, we want you to be the OC. Like, all right. I mean, I, it's a little concerning to me. You got a guy in there that when he was the most obvious choice, you really didn't even need to look around. Didn't want it. Didn't want it. Why? Now, maybe if you had asked him after the Saints offseason of drafting Trevor Penning and Alave and getting... Jarvis Landry on the deal they did. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. Doug emails. Says, Scott, what can you tell me about the UDFA tight end Lucas Kroll? I've read some good things about him. Do you think he can make an impact? Uh, yeah. Sure. Not because he's necessarily going to be great. I mean, look, he, by all accounts and by friends of mine that cover the team and got to see some of it, he was one of the players that really stood out. Now, on one hand, you can get excited about it. On the other, I can tell you last year in OTAs and minicamps and training camp, Zach Bond stood out. And now Zach Bond is, is I mean, he's he's going to be fighting just to be on the roster this year. But with Cruel. Lucas Kroll, he's at a position that the Saints just, they need a lot of help there. A lot of help. You know, I I think he showed, from what I understand, in the, in the hurry-up offense, he was targeted a lot, did really well, has good hands. You know, you don't know how Taysom Hill's going to be as a full-time tight end. But... As far as UDFAs go, undrafted free agents, by the way, for those that aren't sure, I think he is undoubtedly the best bet to make the team. He played at Pitt. He was all ACC. He played in every game. I think he had 38 catches last year. But it's, 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 my point is he was, he was fine. He's six foot six, but it, he didn't do anything in college where you're like, oh, bona fide pro, for sure. Going to be drafted, going to be great. No. 
Will he be one of those diamonds in the rough for the Saints? Time will tell. Time will tell. But he is he, he looked he he looked good. You look at OTAs. I don't know. I think I, that's what that's what I got for you. We haven't seen a ton, but considering you have Nick Vanette, Taysom Hill, Adam Troutman, I think Kroll's got a good shot here, for sure. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. This is the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. What to watch for Saints OTAs begin today. Excuse me, not OTAs, mandatory minicamp. Today, tomorrow, and Thursday. We'll chew a little bit on some of the early takeaways from camp tomorrow with Ralph Malbro, among others. But in the meantime, you can also talk NBA Finals, 337-269-1077. Andrew Wiggins had his moment, his biggest moment as a pro for a former number one overall pick who has been traded a number of times in his career. You know, I've gotten some pretty big contracts, but never lived up to the hype. Last night was his game on a night where Steph Curry struggled. On a night where Steph Curry's record for most consecutive postseason games with a three-pointer came to an end. I mean, it, it, was it 132? When the guy, the guy shattered the old record, he owned the record for a while, 0 of 9 from three-point range. Now, maybe you may not remember that about the game, but what stands out to me is that Curry had, by his standards, his worst game of the postseason. Probably his weakest game in an NBA Finals, by his standards. And Boston still lost by 10. Thanks in part to Andrew Wiggins. Thanks in large part to Andrew Wiggins who had 13 rebounds, who crashed the paint, who created off of the dribble. He was huge. Here he is after the game discussing his performance. You'll also hear from Steph Curry and others about Wiggins and what he brought to the game last night. Warriors up three games to two on Boston. Game six, Thursday night at eight. 7 o'clock pregame, you can hear it right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Here's Andrew Wiggins. You know, something I've dreamt about for sure, you know, uh, being in the league and, you know, this is the ultimate, ultimate stage. Um, it doesn't get bigger than this. Um, so I was out there just being aggressive and, you know, it was, a, it was a good game. He's embracing the challenge of consistency and, you know what he what he's capable of doing on both ends of the floor, and the fact that uh, there's opportunity for him to do what he's doing, like because of the way that we play, because of the way that we've embraced him from day one, and try to paint a picture of what his skill set can do for us. Um, you know, to reach the highest level. So, and I think at the you know bottom line is he's just having fun playing basketball. That's the biggest thing, you know, everything he's been through in his career, all the talk about him as a number one guy, number two guy, number one pick, all that type of stuff. Like, I'm sure he's uh, enjoying this more than anything else he's he's experienced in this league, and that's kind of what it's all about. 
Absolutely. And I think we talked about it for game one of the Denver series. Like we didn't really know what it was going to look like because me, Clay, Draymond had only played nine minutes or something like that in the regular season. We didn't really know what our rotations were going to look like. Um, and we had some guys that hadn't played in the playoffs and had a deep run before. So that were going to be in the road, you know, playing meaningful minutes. Wigs at the top of that list. So we wanted to peak at the right time and keep keep building, keep getting better every single game. And you talk about it and you hope that it's going to work. And thankfully, it's gotten us to this point. And we got one more win. And I think I talked about it when I was talking about Wiggs earlier. He's just in, definitely enjoying the fact that what he's capable of doing on the floor and the way he prepares his mind and his body to go out there and, and hoop that it's leading to success at the highest level. Oh, it's better. That is Steph Curry talking about Andrew Wiggins. Warriors win last night, 104-94 over Boston. Take a 3-2 lead in uh, the NBA Finals. Clay Thompson sharing his thoughts about Andrew Wiggins as well. Special. I mean, buying in is one of the biggest keys to success in this league. And um, for what Andrew did tonight, I mean, it, we don't get you don't we don't get more excited. Then when Wiggs dunks on somebody, me mugs them. That that really uplifts the whole team and the Bay Area. And I mean, Jordan Poole was clutch night. Gary Payton the second. I mean, I go down the list. We just had contributions from the whole roster. Well, no, that didn't happen right away. Um, I think he, you know, started to fill it out. And and but coming into this year, he was an All Star starter for a reason. You know, he he defended very well. Um, he scored the ball very well. And and really just plugged right in. Like, it wasn't like, oh, you need to call a set for him every time. He's just kind of been getting it. And, you know, he's continued to do that. And I think the bigger the challenge has been that we've thrown in front of him, the better he's responded. And and that's a guy like that. Uh, that's a guy, you know, you want a guy like that. Uh, that, you know, when the stakes get big, they respond and they play their best basketball. And that's what he's been doing. Uh, I mean, that trust has been building for, for two and a half years now since he, since he got here. Um, you know, a lot of people looked at the trade like, oh, it's another piece that they can move. And we looked at the trade from the very beginning like that is a guy who can fit next to a healthy group absolutely well. Uh, I think, you know, when he first came here, and I'll never forget, uh, it's when Tibbs wasn't with the Knicks. And Tibbs was like, you guys are going to love him. He competes. He defends. Uh, and, and, he, and he was telling us Jimmy loved him. And, and we all know how Jimmy Butler is. Like, if you got any softness to you, Jimmy don't like you. That's just how Jimmy is cutting. And um, he's continued to show that. He's continued to get better. He's taken on every challenge that, that we've thrown in front of him, and it's huge, and we need him to do that for one more win. Just the- that, that last point right there about Jimmy Butler liking Andrew Wiggins. Because there, Draymond Green's point, there's, there are a lot of folks that felt like when Andrew was in Minnesota that he was soft. Oh, he got this big contract, not living up to the hype. Is he there? And he, truth be told, he never really got credit for his defense the way he should have. But it's a reminder that when you are the number one overall pick in anything, it is extremely hard to live up to the hype. Extremely hard. In fact, it's rare. Because Wiggins has never been Anthony Bennett. Not even close. He's 
He's been good. He just hasn't been number one overall pick generational player good. He hasn't. When you're number one overall in anything, I mean, you look at the the number one overall pick in the NFL draft over the last decade. Who has lived up to it? Honestly, in the last ten years, who has lived up to it? Now, let's let's say that. Uh, I mean, obviously, Joe Burrow has, and I think. Miles Garrett has. And Trevor Lawrence, the, you know, what we'll see. Has Kyler Murray lived up to it? Baker Mayfield hasn't. Has Jared Goff lived up to it? Maybe. Has Jameis Winston lived up to it? Absolutely not. Has Jadavian Clowney lived up to it? No. Did Eric Fisher live up to it? I, I suppose, but he's an old lineman. Some of the guys do. Look at look at the look at the ones at the, the the turn of the century. Mike Vick, David Carr, Carson Palmer, Eli Manning, Alex Smith, Mario Williams, Jamarcus Russell, Jake Long, Courtney Brown. We even go back to two thousand. Brown didn't. Vick did for a little while. We know what happened there. Carr didn't. Palmer did until he was injured. Eli did because he won them Super Bowls. Although his entire career, he's five hundred. Alex Smith never did in San Francisco. Had one good season, but then still got replaced the following season by Colin Kaepernick. Mario Williams never did. Jamarcus Russell certainly didn't. Jake Long didn't. It's tough. It's tough. And you think it's tough in the NFL because I just named you some guys that didn't, but a number of guys that did. In the NBA... Andrew Wiggins is on a list of ones that didn't. That didn't. Zion certainly hasn't yet. He's played 85 games. DeAndre Ayton, okay, I think Ayton has considered it's only been four years. Markel Fultz, no. Ben Simmons, no. Carl Anthony Towns, eh. Wiggins, no, not yet. Anthony Bennett, no. Anthony Davis, yes. Kyrie Irving, yeah. It's tough, y'all. Because you can still be good like Wiggins and be looked at as someone that still just didn't didn't reach that. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Now, if you start looking at the NBA at the turn of the century, Kwame Brown, no. Yao Ming, yeah. LeBron James, certainly. Dwight Howard for the Magic, yes. But since the Magic, no. Andrew Bogut for the Bucks, no. Bargnani, absolutely not. Greg Oden, absolutely not. Derrick Rose, briefly, for a little while. MVP. Injuries changed that. Blake Griffin for the Clippers, yeah. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Jordan Poole. That, that three he banked in. Unbelievable. At the end of the third quarter, it was a big moment. Boston had taken a lead. They had momentum. Then Poole banks in a three-pointer from just past half court, gives the Warriors, I mean, with a tenth of a second left, that thing was off his finger, gives them a lead going into the fourth, and they filled it up in the fourth. Didn't look back, despite Curry not having a good night. Warriors up 3-2. 
This thing feels like it's heading to seven games, though, doesn't it? Take a quick timeout. Hear a little bit from Steve Kerr when we come back. Jay Walker going to be in studio. We'll talk baseball in the 8 o'clock hour. College World Series is set. We'll take a look around Major League Baseball as well and uh, have a couple of terrible tunes for you on this Tuesday. It's the Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Don't go anywhere. Oh, you trackies and TV addicts. Don't mean to this, don't mean to bring static. Oh, you cling on to your grandma's house. Grab your back street friend to get loud. Bullet doors off inches. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Rebounding and, and uh, playing super hard. How can you explain what we've seen from the Well, I, th- I think throughout the playoffs, really, um, you know, he's rebounded well. And um, I think it's just a, a sense of, you know, what's needed and, it's, and you know, being um, on this team where he's got veteran guys who are, are you know, helping him to understand what we need from him. And, um, He's just using his athleticism um, in a lot of different ways, and uh, he's just he's just been fantastic, not just in this series, but throughout the playoffs. That was Warriors head coach Steve Kurt talking about Andrew Wiggins. Jay Walker in studio right now due to some summer travel between he and I. It'll be the last time for a while we're able to do this hour together. But um, happy he's here. Good morning, Jay. Hi. How are you? Good. We'll talk plenty of baseball next hour, but question I want to ask you. Steve Kerr was talking about Andrew Wiggins there. Andrew Wiggins is an interesting case in that he was the number one overall pick that didn't live up to the hype, but was never, he was never bad. And then this season he was an all-star and he had a nice moment in the finals last night. And yet I still look at him as a guy that's like, okay, it was good, but he's kind of the fourth wheel and, and he's, he's a good player, but it's not always boom or bust. Right. And there are players in sports that get drafted high, have a lot of hype. But man, if if you're going to be a really, if you're going to be a good, you know, star but not superstar player, it's best to not be drafted high. Well, yeah, I mean, because with with that direct look, if you're the number one picked, you're supposed to be a superstar, and if you're not, then you're considered to be a bust, even if you're a good player and you have a nice career. It, it that's not good enough. If you're now, if you're Andrew Wiggins and you're picked twelfth, yeah. well, then that's different. But if you're the number one overall pick, and and you're not Shaq, then yeah, that's not good. Like Mario Williams didn't have a bad NFL career. Now he played for the Texans. He played for the Bills. He made a lot of money. I think he was a Pro Bowl once or twice, but never came close to living up to the hype. And for that matter. Neither did Reggie Bush, and I loved Reggie, 
But it almost helped Reggie that he was second and there was all this, how could you not take this guy number one? And it almost deflected some of the time. Like, because Reggie was never a, a pro bowler. You know, some would say that Mario, if you broke it down, actually had a better overall career than Reggie. And yet you look at Mario Williams like, man, he never quite lived up to it. Who was picked third? Do we know who was picked third? The Brickishaw Ferguson was fourth. I don't remember who was third. I need so to look we're, that we're up. trying to find the guy who was the stud in this draft. Let's see. Who was third? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out. I remember DeBrickishaw. Yeah. Oh, Vince Young. Oh, uh, yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Nope. Nope. A.J. Hawk was fifth. No. Vernon Davis was sixth. It took him a while. Uh-huh. Michael Huff was seventh. Anybody remember? DB for Oakland? No. Dante Whitner was eighth. Ernie Sims, ninth. Matt Liner, tenth. Gah! Overall, the 06 draft, tons of hype. Not exactly the uh, the greatest draft out there. Man. Man, they're looking at some of these names. Anyway, but the point is, you look at a guy like Wiggins. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there were players. At, we're talking about number one overall picks. Jay, I'm sure you could even look at it. From um, a college standpoint, right? You being the play-by-play of the Cajuns in, in a sport when a when a student athlete comes in, highly recruited, a ton of hype. They just there's there's almost like a target on their back, uh huh. And they have a target in front of them, and if they don't hit the bullseye, but they you know they have a decent dart game, it's kind of like well, it's not good enough. Marcus Colston isn't just one of the most beloved players in Saints history because of how great he was. It's also because he was the third to last pick in the draft. Eight o'clock hour coming up. We got terrible tune Tuesday. We have a college world series field that is set with eight. Five of the eight teams are not even national seeds. Four of the eight are from one division. We got a lot to dig into. We'll talk some Major League Baseball as well. A couple of new TTTs. I'm Scott. That's Jay. It's a Tuesday. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues right after this.